And we do miss our brother Jim as well as Pam as they are in the hospital right now. So continue to remember uh, them and especially Jim as he is suffering from uh, physical infirmity and um, and God is loving him right where he is. He doesn't have to be here. Uh, and he has taken care of him, and he's guiding, and we continue to wait upon the Lord for the outcome there. And, of course, they may be even listening now. So if so, hi, Brother Jim. Trust the Lord is blessing you. Maybe I'll just mention this. I, I guess it's okay to mention this. You know, he just to give you a, a sense of where his mind is, uh, he did um, try to get up on his own and ended up having a fall. Uh, but I think that's while he shouldn't have done that. Uh, the, I think that's a positive thing in that his mind, he wants to do that. He, and so he is uh, certainly not retreating. He's, he, I did ask him yesterday, um, do you have the sense that this is the end or do you have the sense that you're coming out and coming back? And he said, no, I have the sense. I don't have the sense that this is the end. I have the sense that I'm going to get out and, and come back. So for what it's worth, that's where his mind is. He's trusting the Lord. Matthew chapter 17. Begin reading in verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is epileptic and suffers severely. The translation epileptic is a translation of a word that in the Old King James it says lunatic, which is actually has a lunar reference. Uh, in fact, some have translated moonstruck. And so it has that idea. That's, that's, that's the idea. There's something related to the moon and the impact uh, and just sort of lunacy. Somebody that's kind of in a crazy place. And that's what we might say. For he often falls into the fire and often into the water. And so I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Amen. One of the other gospel writers says, and it did not return. Because we know from Jesus' own words, demons can leave and return. But not when he drives them out. Because when he drives them out, he replaces the presence. He, you know, there is a, there's not an uninhabited space. The demons cannot dwell where the Spirit of Christ dwells. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, because of your un Belief. Some translations will say little faith here. I don't follow that. It's because there's a different word that they're translating here. And I follow the majority text, which is unbelief rather than little faith. In fact, it in my mind doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because of what he continues to say, if you translate it little faith, he says, for surely I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. And I added grain there because. The New King James doesn't translate that. It just says a mustard seed. And so that's that's a little faith. But of course, there's another interpretation that people bring to this because of the idea of little faith. And they make it say something else, which I don't think is the emphasis. And we'll say a little bit about that in a little while. So he says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be 
impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Again, another textual issue here. Some of your translations won't have that verse. We do, and I'm not taking it out. And uh, but uh, but it is also in Mark's gospel. And uh, so it is in the words that Jesus spoke. In fact, that's all that Mark says. Mark says nothing about the size of faith. He just simply says prayer. This kind goes not out, but by prayer. It's an important point that I'll be emphasizing later. Prayer and faith, they go together. There's an emphasis there. And so Jesus and his three disciples have now returned to where the rest of the disciples were engaging in debate with the scribes. And we know this from Mark's account. And they're attempting to respond. The disciples are attempting to respond to the scribes. It's probably also to the multitude. They're, they're being attacked. There was a problem. The disciples, and here we're talking about the nine, the ones that were still there, that weren't with Jesus. The disciples were being challenged. And so while Jesus and the three were up experiencing incredible things up on the mountain, the nine were down in the valley, down in the wild, down on the lowlands, engaging or at least attempting to engage in ministry. And so they were being challenged by their inability to heal a man's son who was controlled by a demon. His condition was severe. Described in verse 15. Epileptic. He suffers severely. He often falls into the fire and often into the water. He was suicidal. And this wasn't a recent development. It's something that was true from a child. And so when Jesus comes upon the scene, the father sees him and immediately appeals to him. He knew something about him. Jesus' reputation was had gone before and preceded him. And so immediately he comes to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. By the way, if I were you, that's what I would pray. If you're in trouble, that's exactly what I would pray. If you're wondering and doubting, and I know I'm racing ahead here to make an application, but if you're in a place of trouble, if you're wondering, will He help me? Is there any hope for me? No matter what it is that you're encountering, is there any hope for me? I would tell you, cry out, Lord, have mercy on me. And you can do that with confidence because of who He is. Okay? Now, back away. From that, maybe somebody needed to hear this, that at this point. And if that's all you hear, sometimes that's all people will hear is one thing in a message. That's significant. Well, Mark focuses upon Christ's interaction with the Father and His healing of the Son. And that's a message in itself. And if we were preaching in Mark, that's probably what we would be emphasizing today. And oh, what mercy and compassion we see in the Son of Man toward this one who had for so long been under the destructive control of a demonic spirit. And truly, we know it's true and it needs to be emphasized. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And his repeated victorious encounters with demonic spirits in his earthly ministry testifies to this. It's noteworthy that Jesus did not remain in isolation upon the mountain from the needs of the world. I say this is noteworthy because it is possible for us to be of the mindset that we're just relishing in the glories that we see of God, like the three on the mountain of transfiguration. Let's build tabernacles here. Let's just camp here. Let's just stay here. And of course, one day that's where we're going to be forever. But we're not there yet. And we're in a world full of trouble. And Jesus came to minister. He came to seek and to save the lost. And brethren, His disciples right here, are in His school. And they're learning the ways of their Master. Which is the way of His body, the church. It's our way too. It didn't end with the apostles. We, we are in the, we are in the same way as the disciples, as the apostles, who were the foundation of the church. 
in this world. There is a work for us to do. There is a ministry for us to carry out. We cannot be satisfied isolating ourselves and just being filled up with something ourselves. We cannot be. That is so antithetical to Scripture and to the life of Christ. While we are called to be separate, we're called to be holy, we're not called to be outside of the world of suffering, a world that's suffering under the darkness and power of sin and demonic influence. And I can tell you one thing, and I I experienced this myself, sometimes I would just as soon stay away from the world because sometimes I feel, most of the time I feel powerless to help. Aaron, do you ever feel that way? Where is the majesty of God seen in the record here? Well, it was seen on the mountaintop. Peter says so. He uses that word majesty. He unveiled. He showed His majesty there on the, tra- on the Mount of Transfiguration. Did you know that that same word majesty, it's used three times in Scripture, I think, and one of the other times is in Luke's account of this very incident of the healing of this boy? And it says, they saw, they were awed by the majesty of God as they saw this boy healed. And so not only is the majesty of God seen in those mountaintop experiences, and indeed that's true, but His majesty is seen as we are engaged in lowland experiences. And we see the power of Christ manifested in confronting the powers of darkness, the power of sin, the changing, transforming of lives, His majesty is seen. Matthew doesn't go into the details of the healing of, like I said, like Mark does. Mark records the Father's response to Jesus. And and again, I say Matthew doesn't do that. Luke doesn't do that. But, but Mark does. You remember, Jesus said to him, in, his, in, in response to his question, he says, if you can believe, if you're able to believe, all things are possible to him who believes. You remember what the father cried out? He cried out with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I wonder how many of us can relate. Even as I've been preparing this week, and even last night, and even this morning, I've had to say those very words. Lord, I believe. Help. Help my unbelief. We'll return to that thought later. Matthew especially emphasizes this matter of unbelief. He emphasizes really the contrast between unbelief and belief in relation to the disciples. And remember, as Matthew writes this, he's writing as an insider. He was there. Luke wasn't. Mark wasn't. Matthew was. And so he's writing the very thing that he experienced with the other disciples. He describes what they could not do. What they could not do. And then he describes what Jesus could and did do. And then he explains, by the words of Jesus, why they could not do what they were actually given the power to do in ministry. Faith. Faith is a big subject in Scripture, just like love is a big, big subject in Scripture. And they're not antithetical to one another. You know, I, I thought about that. Sometimes we hear, you hear the, you're going to hear this message, the significance of faith in ministry. It's not the only significant thing in ministry. There are other things that, I mean, without love, you're nothing. We heard that in the last hour. So surely that is fundamental. That is foundational. And to say that love is fundamental and foundational without love, you can do nothing is not to say that there's nothing else. Right? The fact of the matter without faith. It's impossible, right? It's impossible. Faith is necessary. It's impossible to please God. And so while much could be said about faith in general, that's not what we're doing this morning. Our attention from this text is upon the significance of faith in 
ministry in particular. Now, let me give you a few summary statements that I don't intend to address in depth. We've addressed these things before, but I'm just going to make the statements just for sake of clarity. And if you need to talk more about some of these things, we can engage later. But let me just give you these ideas. First of all, most because we're talking about the healing um, we're, we're talking about the curing of a man who had a problem. I think it's important to, uh, to see the connection between the spiritual dynamic that's going on here that, that is manifested in the physical reality. There is a sense in which you could say all physical problems are related to some sort of spiritual issue, but not all of them in the same way this one is. So here are the statements. First of all, most illnesses are not attributed to demons. So don't think that when someone has an illness that the need is to cast out some sign, you know, uh, uh, the the demon, uh, the demon of 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 high blood pressure. or, Or whatever it is. Now, the boy in this account suffered from infirmities that could be from natural causes. But here, the root cause, of course, especially in its severity, is demonic. How do we know that? Well, it's pretty clear, isn't it? In verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon. And it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Secondly, not all illness or infirmity is due to any specific sin. Specific sin. John 9, verses 1 through 3, as Jesus is engaging about the man that was blind from his birth. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? That was the common thought of the day in the Jewish world. It tracks all the way back to Job. That every kind of sickness, every kind of illness, every kind of infirmity must mean that there's something going on in your life. Now, it's possible that something's going on in your life. It's possible that you are uh, being affected by sin. It's possible. But brethren, that is not the conclusion to immediately draw. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? That he was born blind, Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now, is he saying that that neither one was without sin? No, he's just saying sin's not the reason for that. Their sin, parents or his. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. And I think that's really similar to the case before us in our passage. Three. Not all cures, healing in the New Testament occurred in response to faith. Sometimes there was no faith even mentioned. Yet, at times, as in the case before us, the absence of faith is given as a reason for no cure. In fact, Matthew 13, 58, we saw this a number of weeks ago, where Jesus is not doing many mighty works in his own hometown. Scripture says, now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Four, while not all sick or demoniacs in the land were healed, that is, when Christ came to the earth, there wasn't the healing of every sick, every demoniac. Yet everywhere he went, his compassion and power God manifests in the flesh. Compassion and power were on display everywhere he went. And then finally, while we do not have, we, I'm talking about we as believers or the church, the New Testament church, while we do not have the signs of an apostle in the same way today, we do have the same Lord Jesus and the same faith. And the responsibility as his church to minister in his name and on his behalf in the world. 
The powers of darkness are not impossible obstacles for the disciples of Christ and for the church. In other words, we should not be an anemic church. We should not be a powerless church in this world. And so don't read a passage like this or others like this in the New Testament and say, oh, well, that was in the New Testament, so we're living at a different age. We shouldn't expect any such such power. I say, the signs of an apostle, it's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about there is power because it's the same Christ. And I hope you'll see that emphasis before we're through. Now, sometimes, wouldn't you have to admit, when we think about the church, our church, let's just say Community Baptist Church, we are sometimes as powerless in ministry as these apostles on this occasion. You see, these disciples had experienced the demonstration of the power of God in ministry. They, and they should have expected it because Jesus said, They should be able to do these things back in chapter 10 and verse one. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then he sent them out to heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. He said, freely you have received, freely give freely you have received. That's really important. You can only give what you receive. Keep that principle in mind. And it may be that the apostles, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but it may be that the apostles sort of lost sight of that. It became just a little bit too self-confident. Or it will always be as it's always been kind of an attitude. We've done this before. We'll keep doing it. But they had really no reason at least in their minds, to expect that they could not respond on this occasion. But they couldn't. A father's son was being terrorized from a child and his disciples could not. That's the language. Could not. That's the word. It's the translation of dynamite. They didn't have the ability. And that's emphasized in this in Matthew's account. The disciples weren't indifferent. It's not like they had no pity. It's not like they didn't have any concern. Oh, well, kind of an attitude. But they were powerless. They were helpless. And of course, this became a learning moment for them as he teaches them, as Jesus teaches them that without me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. We live in a world that is full of satanic influence. And sometimes we feel as helpless as these disciples. Sometimes our Lord brings a very difficult situation our way in order to remind us of what we may tend to forget. And that is this principle that we are helpless without Him. Now, all of us would make that statement of faith. All of us would cerebrally say, that's true, but do we feel it? Do we actually sense it? And I'm saying that sometimes God orchestrates things in our lives so that we are we come face to face with our impotency, our powerlessness, individually or as a church. And I tend to think here in in terms more than individual, think in terms more of a collective body. In fact, that seems to be the emphasis of the passage. You see, you see. In verse 14, when they came down, a man came to him. There is this contrast between they and him. In verse 16, they could not cure him. Your disciples, they could not cure him. And then Jesus says, bring him here to me. And by the way, the word bring there, the verb, it's a plural. 
You know, you know what he's saying? He's saying, y'all, you don't have what it takes. Bring him here to me. And then in verse 19, why could we? And then in verse 20, it's the plural because of your. Not just a single individual. Yeah, there were those times when Jesus said to Peter, Oh, thee, you singled out Peter. Yeah, you have this little faith. But here, he's talking to the group. He's talking, could we say, will you allow me to say, he's talking to the church collectively. There's a problem. And sometimes we run, run into a problem like this and skeptics, skeptics and antagonists like the scribes engage us and attempt to exploit our weakness. And we can be affected with a with our lack of ministry progress or success, just like these disciples were. And we may begin to doubt. We may begin to wonder. And we may resort to argument with our detractors, thinking that's the, that's the answer. That's the solution to power. We'll argue with our detractors. Arguments will never, will never bring down the power of God. Aaron, remember that. How <laughs> there. Arguments won't do it. And skeptics love to argue. But there will be no power to break spiritual bondage simply by arguing with people. Well, faced with their obvious weakness at this point of ministry, the disciples turn to Jesus. And this is in private. One of the other accounts say it was when they went to the house. So they're away from the crowd. They're, they're alone with Jesus. And they, they're mystified, really. And they're bothered by the fact that they... They were not able to do what they had been able to do before. And in verse 19, the question is asked, why could we not cast it out? Why? And beloved, I want to say to you that that's a legitimate question for us. It's a legitimate question for me as a pastor, as an individual believer, but it's a question for us as a church Individual members bound together, joined together as a, as a body of believers. Why? Why could we not? That, again, the word of ability is used there. Why are we lacking? Why is there no ability? Why is there such a weak church in relationship to the powers of darkness that are in the world? Why? When folks come to us with need, why is there no more power? And why do we even struggle? It seems sometimes powerless to bring about a change. Jesus says that our powerless in ministry can be traced. Now, be careful here. Can be traced. At least in part to a lack of faith. Right? He says, because of your unbelief. And the reason I say can, can be traced at least in part is because this is not the only answer. In fact, one of the answers you know in other scriptures. How, how will they know? How will they how will we impact the world? It is by that issue of love. So that's another answer. And by the way, faith and love cannot be separated. Have I said that already? You need to hear it. It cannot be separated. They are together. Oh, yeah. Faith works by love. And so, you know, they are joined together in the Scriptures. And so while... This is not the only answer. It's the answer that Jesus emphasizes here for our good. And so that's what we're going to emphasize in the message. You see, Jesus wants his church to be different from the faithless and perverse generation. Faithless and perverse, perverse, twisted, corrupted, wayward generation that characterized the world then and now. Jesus says in verse 17, oh, faithless and perverse Generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. 
Who was Jesus speaking to? There are some, John Gill, for example, who will say there's no way he could be talking to the disciples because the disciples are not faithless and perverse. There's no way he could be talking to them. There are others who will take just the opposite position and say that's the only ones he was talking to. Well, I take perhaps you could say a middle of the road position. There's no question in my mind he is talking to that generation. Because that's what he says. Certainly he's talking to the scribes. In fact, this is borne out. I think it's in Mark's account. It's, it comes out even more clearly because he's responding to the, to the scribes. In fact, Jesus addresses the scribes. He says, what are you talking about? And then this follows. So certainly he's talking to the, to the, to the scribes who represented the unbelieving nation and culture in which Jesus ministered. They were much like their unbelieving ancestors who were described back in Deuteronomy. Some of the same language is used. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 32, verse 5. They have corrupted themselves. They are not his children because of their blemish, a perverse and crooked generation. Sounds much like what Jesus is saying here. He's speaking to the generation of Jews, the unbelieving Jews who had been hardened against him. Really against Jehovah. And then at the end of that, toward later on in that Deuteronomy 32, and he said, I, the Lord, saying, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. That was the issue. No faith. But coming back to our text, it seems that Jesus is also speaking to his disciples and in some ways, I would say primarily to his disciples, because it's his disciples that he that he that he was teaching here. It's his disciples that he was training here. And he's saying something in a way that he wants them to understand. He wants them to get. Here they were responding in a faithless manner, just like the world around them. They had no solution. And it's just as if they were giving up and giving in. And Jesus is calling them out on this. And he says, he who is love and he who is light speaks to them with a mingling of frustration, indignation and tenderness. And you read the words of Jesus in verse 17. And we need to read them as they come. He says, oh, faithless and perverse generation. He's burdened, isn't he? He's affected by what he sees. It's a sense in which it breaks his heart. You remember when the Scripture says, grieve not the Holy Spirit? God can be grieved. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Now that can be understood in more than one way. But I think here, I, I'm convinced that he is primarily addressing the disciples at this point. I don't want you to be like this generation. I've been with you three years now, almost three years. I've been walking with you. I've been teaching you. You've been watching me. You've been engaging with me. And there's things that you haven't yet learned. How long shall I be with you? It wasn't going to be much longer, was it? Right? He was going to be departing. He wasn't going to be walking in, in the flesh with them. How long shall I bear with you? Put up with you is another way of saying that. Something has to happen to these disciples. And Jesus is, it seems to me, saying, I want this to happen before I depart. I want you to see something. I want you to understand something. Because this is what's going to carry you once I leave You need something that you are lacking at this point. You need to understand something. And so while that generation as a whole was in the darkness of unbelief, Jesus knew that His departure was near. And there's a sense in which if they didn't learn the things that they needed to learn, they were going to be very negatively affected and not able to engage in the faithful ministry that He has called them to. 
And so his great burden was for his disciples who would be his representation on earth upon his departure. Now, we could finish the rest of the story and say he left, he sent the spirit and, and, and everything changed. And so you need to hear that. It's not developed in this passage, but that's fundamental to the transformation that went on in the hearts and lives of these disciples, just as it is with you and me. We'll touch upon that in a minute. He says, Jesus says, and I love this. He doesn't just say, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Let's go, guys. I'm out of here. It's crazy. Let's find something easier to work with. Let's find a softer situation to deal with. No, Jesus says, bring him here to me. Bring him here to me. Their master was teaching them. Their master is demonstrating sovereign mercy at this point. Did you hear me? Sovereign love. Sovereign mercy. A love and a mercy that could accomplish what they could not accomplish. The teacher is teaching. They could not. And that's emphasized. They could not. They could not. They did not have the ability. But he did. He could And he did. And at this point, I want to say to you, thankfully, unbelief does not prevent Jesus from his ultimate purpose. This man's and listen, we're talking here in the context of ministry. This man's son was cured in spite of unbelief. Jesus intervened. Jesus said, bring him here to me. I know my disciples can't do it. The reality is, those disciples could never have done it apart from the power of Christ. There's a message here. Bring him here to me. Without me, you can do nothing. And so this event is not teaching that unbelief cripples God's redemptive purpose. And whenever you read about unbelief in Scripture, I think you need to tuck that thought away or at least make it a foundation. Unbelief cannot cripple God's redemptive purpose. You remember what Paul said in Romans chapter 3? He says, For what if some did not believe? Some what? Some who? The Jews. What if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? The old King James says faith of God. Of none effect without effect. The answers are screaming. No, God forbid. No, certainly not. And yet, let's reel this back to the point of the passage. When the disciples asked the question, why? Why could we not cast it out? Jesus does not excuse them from responsibility. He does not say, your unbelief is really not a problem. Don't worry about it. I got it covered. I'm the sovereign. I'm going to do it. Whether you believe or not, it doesn't matter. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm going to cure whom I'm going to cure. And therefore, whether you believe or not is a non-issue. No, He makes it an issue. Jesus says very decidedly, in answer to the question, why could we not cast it out? He says, because, here's the reason, because of your unbelief. Brethren, faith is necessary if His disciples and if we are to join Him in the blessing of ministry to the spiritually bound and physically helpless. I don't want you to hear what we're hearing this morning as some sort of mark that cannot be achieved 
I don't want you to hear this morning something that is that is beyond. Jesus is not presenting something that is beyond us. He's presenting something that is necessary for us. And is the only way that we are going to be able to see his power in ministry. Faith is the God-given means by which we appropriate God's power in ministry. So in verse 20, when he says, because of your unbelief, this is the answer to the question, why could we not cast it out? Jesus said, because of your unbelief. And he goes on to speak about this faith. If you have faith. But in verse 21, he adds to that. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, which you, re- which you remember I said earlier, is the only response that's recorded by Mark. And so being brought together here is faith and prayer. Faith and the power of God in prayer. Unbelief, Jesus says, because of your unbelief. Unbelief. Unbelief is, is blinding. Unbelief is, is questioning. Un, unbelief is calling into question. Unbelief is a blurring of the vision. Unbelief is an I'm not sure. It's, and there's degrees to it. Just like there are degrees to the expression of faith, we might say. There are degrees to unbelief, but unbelief at its core is blinding and it is a hindrance in ministry. And of course, the world is in unbelief. It's the characterization of the world. But even true disciples of Christ can be affected by this lingering sin. Do you remember what the Lord Jesus said to Thomas after his resurrection? He said, Reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand here. Put it into my side. And then he said this. Do not be unbelieving. That's the very word that's translated in our text. Don't be unbelieving. But believing. And then when Jesus, again, after his resurrection, he appeared to the disciples I'm reading from Mark chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief. Now, here's disciples. These are believers. But unbelief is still an issue. It's a problem. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. He didn't rebuke them simply for the sake of being hard on them. He rebuked them because that was standing in the way of what he wanted them to participate in. A joyful and rewarding ministry. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And then he said to them, very next verse, he said to them, so just because they struggled with unbelief, he didn't set them on the shelf. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's immediately after rebuking them for unbelief. Unbelief. Beloved, we need to understand that it is, it is an intruder that stirs doubt and distracts from the one who is able are you hearing this? It intrudes into our our minds. And I would tell I would say this unbelief goes beyond your mind. That's where it may begin, but it goes into your very spirit. It's a crippling, it has a crippling effect on your very spirit. It stirs up doubt, and it'll it'll continue to stir up doubt, and it'll distract you. You see, unbelief. Unbelief sees only the mountain. Jesus said, what did Jesus say? I say to you, if you, assuredly, this is a, this is for sure. I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, a grain, the smallest of seeds in their minds, you will say to this mountain, this mountain, representative of in the Jewish mind, there was a 
common thought. Sometimes we struggle with this. I ain't never seen anybody say to a mountain be cast into the sea or whatever. That's not what he's saying. It's foolishness. But he is saying, in their minds, they're hearing this and they know exactly what he's saying. There are insurmountable things. This is symbolic of the impossibility of an obstacle or a problem that is too great for me or for us. And beloved, that's exactly what we face in this world. We face an insurmountable problem, a mountain that we can't remove. We can't, we, we can't conquer it. We don't have the ability. And so in and of ourselves, we cannot say, move from here to there and it will move. We'll say, move from here to there and that demon will laugh at us. That hard Situation, that impossible situation will just shake its head at us. Who are you? Jesus, I know, but who are you? Right? Who are you? But with his faith, he says nothing will be impossible for you. But unbelief, unbelief doesn't see that. Unbelief sees the impossibility and, and sort of brings us to the place of just accepting it. You know, he's never going to change. This kid, this older kid now, he's never going to change. He's been this way since a child. It's always going to be this way. And apply that to anything in your life or any obstacle. He's always had an anger problem. That's just the way. How many times do we hear that in the church? That's just the way he is. That's just the way she is. And she's always been this, or he's always been that. Unbelief doesn't see an answer. Unbelief will sometimes turn to the arm of the flesh, won't it? Thinking that there's another way, there's a better remedy, other than turning to God. And of course, whatever degree of remedy you may find in relationship to this world, perhaps you're looking for that happy feeling that you're that you don't have. And I've got folks in my family like this who who they're they're wanting they they can get this happy feeling by a pill. That does not glorify God. That doesn't glorify God. And and we know that. And by the way, there's a message that I would encourage y'all listening to, preached by Vodi Bauckham, and maybe I'll put it out to you. That addresses some of the idea of the, of the replacements of our culture. Because we live in a culture that does not believe in a spiritual dynamic. We live in a culture that doesn't understand that there are other reasons, even such as sin, that may be at the root of some of the issues. And so they totally skip over those possibilities. Totally skip over a dimension that's even outside of this world. Everything is contained within the natural realm. And so they, and especially in our day and age, they concocted things to address what may be, may be, huge emphasis, may be a spiritual dynamic that only God can address. And I want you to be careful there, by the way. Let me not end there. This is not a slam on the use of every medication. This is not a slam even on medications that may, as they say, may affect the mind in some way. That is not a slam on that. But brethren, that is not to be, that is not to be our, our trust, our confidence, our faith is not to be in that. That's the point. And so we come back to our text and what does Jesus say? He says, a faith, if you have this, a faith as a grain of mustard seed. What is he saying? Faith. Which is fundamentally a conviction. That's what faith fundamentally is. A conviction. I am convinced of something. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 is the closest to a definition of faith I find in Scripture. You know, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But those two words translated substance and evidence are also speaking of, of a conviction. You're convinced of something. Faith. And in this case, this is how we'll apply it. As I believe, it must be applied. We are, and the apostles needed to have this conviction that God is able. 
In fact, as Paul said it in Ephesians 3, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above. Huge language. All that we can ask or even think. That affects me. Because sometimes for me, I'm praying specifics. I'm saying, well, you know, this is how I view it. This is how I see it. And I, and I say, I may say, well, you know, this right here seems like a lost cause. I'm going to evaluate this person, for example, and I'm going to say, well, God has given them over. Because my understanding of certain scriptures and God has just given them over. Well, that, that's, so that's what I, that's what I ask, or that's what I say to God, and I, I sort of acquiesce, and I say no more. But I am told that He's able to do above what I can ask or think. In other words, He knows the whole story. He knows what I don't know. I mean, David, why? Why? I don't know. Is it okay to say I don't know? But I do know someone, you see. You've got to see this is what's being said here. This is so critical. When he speaks of faith, faith sees past the mountain. I don't think he's saying that faith ignores the mountain. I don't say, you know, you're just walking around some la-la land. Reality isn't with you. I don't think that's what he's saying. And so you just deny it. Someone comes to you and says, for example, you know, you have cancer. You've got six, you've got six months to live. And in your la-la land, you, and maybe I shouldn't be so harsh in saying it that way, because I think there are some well-intended, well, there, there's some good intentions in the hearts of people. But just simply to deny it and say, we've got run with this theological idea that no, my cancer was Paid for at the cross. I don't have cancer. I don't care what the doctor says. I don't have cancer. And you don't get any treatment because you, by faith, have claimed you don't have cancer. Because that was dealt with at the cross, right? And so you die. Here's the, maybe a caveat. That there are true believers who think that way. Please do not count everyone who thinks that way as an unbeliever, a lost person. But here's what I would say to you, and this is the caveat. If they die, they are delivered. Because that's the redemption of our bodies that has been promised to us. That's why the Scripture says we live by hope, we're saved by hope. And we may not receive it now, but we should believe that. We should believe in a full, complete healing, shouldn't we? And so I don't want to totally discard that idea. But the point here is that we are not supposed to just ignore reality, but we look past the reality and we call out in prayer, believing God is able. Nothing is too hard for him. And in fact, Yahweh, Jehovah, even asked that question in Jeremiah, was it 32? He asked that, is anything too hard for me? He asked that question. He asked it in a certain context there. We'll not go into that, but we can apply it here. Is anything too hard for me? Faith as a mustard seed. Oh, the point, brethren, is not how much faith do you have? That's not the point. The point is, in whom is your faith? In whom is your conviction? In, in whom are you convinced is able? So we're not talking about, I, 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 I don't want to be too hard because I think I know what they mean. And in some sense, you read Jesus' words and I can see where you would say this. But it seems like the point that most people come down upon is the, is magnifying faith. How great is your faith? But I believe that the point we ought to be proclaiming is how great is our God. I tell these guys at the dorm out there at prison, 
regularly. You know, it's a faith-based dorm. They all believe in something. They all have faith, they all have faith in something. That's not the point. You see, faith is not the power. Faith appropriates. Faith receives. Faith doesn't provide. Faith receives. Appropriate is a good word. It appropriates His loving power. He has just demonstrated that, hasn't He? He's merciful. He just, He just, let Him bring Him here to me. In answer to the cry, Lord, be merciful. Can you believe that I'm able? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus didn't say, well, now, you know, once you, once you ramp up, I'm going to wait. Because your faith is just a little bit too, too small right now. So I want you to spend the next week fasting and praying to try to increase your faith. I even read messages where they think that's what the fasting and prayer here is about. The fasting and prayer is to actually try to get more faith. And by the way, these are from solid men. I don't think that's what's going on here. It's not can you believe enough. It's can you believe. Can you believe. And so faith appropriates His loving power. Again, you can apply this in many different areas of your life. But we're talking about here about engaging in ministry to lives who are in need Faith is absolutely powerless beyond just positive thinking. If Jesus Christ and the triune God is not the object, positive thinking will never remove a mountain. An impossibility. It can never accomplish what is humanly impossible. Peter did learn that, by the way. And let me just read it to you. Acts chapter 3 and verse 16. Remember the lame man at the temple? Here's what, here's what Peter said. And his name, how did this happen? He says, and his name, Jesus, through faith in his name. He didn't say a lot of faith, great faith. He said faith in his simply believing. Through faith in His name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him. Isn't that interesting? The faith that comes through Him. Who are you dependent upon for this faith? I mean, yeah. He's got, I mean, the Father and the Son have sent the Spirit. And so the very thing that you need to connect you comes from the one to whom you're connecting, with whom you are connecting, from whom you are appropriating. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. The Apostle Paul writes about Abraham in Romans chapter 4. He says, verse 19 and 20, and not being weak in faith. He, I mean, remember, uh, God had appeared to Abraham, Abraham and said, I am your exceeding great reward. I am the almighty God. I am able to fulfill my promise. And not being weak in faith. It's not talking about the amount here. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief because he believed God. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is. It's not that you've answered all the questions that come to your mind. It's not that you can prove anything. You believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. So He didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, which is the ultimate end. 
And so this is not faith in faith. It's faith that recognizes that without him we can do nothing. I must abide in him and depend upon him. So let's 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 bring this to a conclusion. How how should we respond to needy souls who come to us for help with with that which looks impossible? And by the way, if you go out and among this world, you're going to run into this. You cannot engage in ministry. When I have men come to me at the prison and they say things to me like they 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 they, 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 they tell me of, of an impossible situation. What do I do? Well, first of all, we individually, but as a church, we must always remember that we have nothing but what is given to us. Nothing. If you freely received, freely give. So to the, so to the degree that you receive, you give. Therefore, we must be utterly dependent in faith upon our God and Savior as we minister to others. Ministry is not magic. We don't pronounce hocus pocus over people or, or follow a formula for a desired outcome. That's not what we do. We are always in need of the Spirit of Christ in and with us to guide us. Never should we be self-reliant. Never should we engage. As I came up here to preach today, I should not have, and I, and I, I don't believe I was coming up here trusting in me. Well, I did it last week. And so, but that can happen. Even coming to church, you know, we, we, we did it last week, we'll do it this week, we'll do it engaging in ministry of any sort. And see what happens is we start coasting and we get disconnected and we actually lose our first love. We get disconnected and we become a church like Ephesus. No power. The light goes out. You see? Got, got a lot of things right. Doing a lot of things right. But without power. We must, we must never become self-reliant. We must not be defeated or grow weary with hard cases. This kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting is simply, I'm releasing dependence on everything else. You know, fasting, I'm not going to eat. I'm going I'm to do without it. You need to eat. Fasting is, the whole idea there, I say the whole idea, one of the main ideas is you are laying aside what you typically trust in in order to tr- move your trust and confidence only to Him who is able. Prayer and fasting go together. Faith continues in prayer, asking and seeking, depending upon Him who said, nothing will be... Did you hear what Jesus said? Nothing will be impossible for you. And that would take a, you know, more time to flesh that, you know, go into that because there's some wrong thoughts. But brethren, sometimes I think we can get so focused on the wrong thoughts, we miss the thought. And you and I are dealing with situations that are beyond us. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Remember, apart from faith that receives from Christ, we will only be a religious institution that really doesn't differ from the world. We minister as a church under the power of our head, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's do that. There are many needs that meet us as we minister. And some are great. And so some, as I say, remind us of our powerlessness. But there is none greater than God. Take that away from this. There is none greater than God. And so like these disciples, we are woefully inadequate in ourselves to face any of the spiritual battles that come our way. Personally, or as we minister to others, don't let unbelief get in the way. Community Baptist Church, God has given to each of us a measure of faith. Romans chapter 12, verse 3. There are varying measures. But it's the same God. The same God. If it's it's truly faith, it's a faith that comes from Him, it's Him that we're placing that conviction and confidence in. And He intends for us... I, I, I... 
I mean, this is what I really want to emphasize. See, because of the plural pronouns used there, speaking to that group, not a single individual, I want to just finally conclude with this idea. Let's, let's, let's bind together here. And I think we help one another because sometimes I'm weak and stumbling and unbelief wants to get in. But if, but if you're strong, you who are strong, help the weaker one and, and encourage one another when we see unbelief sort of rising up within our, our ranks. Not attacking one another, but praying with one another, praying for one another. So that together we receive from Him by His Spirit in order to minister to a world in need. This is where the power is going to come from. A ministry through faith. A faith that works by love. A faith that depends upon Him who brings down strongholds and establishes His kingdom in the hearts of men and women in this world. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May the Lord... Help us to join together to be His instruments in this world. Father, I pray as we seek to minister as a church and as we seek to engage with one another, we would not lose sight of anything that we've heard this morning in this hour, the previous hour. That there would be that uniting within our hearts by Your Spirit of that which is fundamentally needed for each of us to serve in the capacity to which You have called us as Your disciples in this world. Please help us. I pray that You would bless us as we, as we continue in this day to honor You with that which You give to us freely. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.